You know, the birth of Jesus has come to symbolize this hectic season of consumerism. Instead of worshiping Jesus, the greatest gift of all time, it's very easy to find ourselves worshiping the God of materialism. Our letterboxes are stuffed full of promotional leaflets about new toys, clothes, and gadgets that we just can't do without. Some of us may be looking forward with anticipation to that special birthday present you're going to get on Christmas Day. Children jump for joy when they open their new computer game, their new phone or their new tablet. What's the world coming to? But many presents are not needed or wanted and they just clutter up our bulging homes and our expanding credit card debt. In November 1930, Henrietta Garrett, a lonely 81-year-old widow, died. But she failed to leave a will to her $17 million estate. And this started the most unbelievable case of inheritance litigation in history. She only had one known relative, a second cousin, and only around 10 friends. Yet 26,000 people, represented by over 3,000 lawyers, attempted to prove that they were related to her so that they could claim a part of her valuable estate. They told lies. They faked family records. They changed their names and made up crazy stories. And as a result, 12 people ended up being admitted to psychiatric institutions. <laughs> 10 received jail sentences. Two committed suicide. And three were murdered. Our desire to have more and more can be a blockage to us living a joyful life. It's also an obstacle to us having a close relationship with God. I'm getting a bright light coming off a window screen through that window. Okay, that's a lot better. <laughs> okay, now my eyes are just adjusting to normality. Yeah, I wondered whether it was, you know, a heavenly light at one point. <laughs> so the Bible tells us that deeply desiring or coveting something that we don't have is actually very harmful to us. It's hard not to be influenced by all of these brochures and TV advertising that we face every day. Children looking through those toy brochures suddenly realize that there are a lot of toys that they didn't even realize that they needed. And so they want them. We may even become jealous of people who have the stuff that we don't. You know, my son's mates, uh, my son told me that his mates were sort of talking about the sort of cars that they wanted to buy, and they all were wanting to buy a car for about $10,000, and they were talking about what car they would buy. And, and, and then my son replied, he said, I would, I would get a $4,000 Honda Civic, I'd buy a new computer and some new camera gear, and I'd take a trip to Bali. 
And I thought, that's my boy. <laughs> that, you know, I know we go through different stages in life and at times we have a lot of money and we can afford to be extravagant. But when we're young and we're still making our way in the world, it's important how we spend our money, that we don't buy things that we don't really need. So why does God advise us and warn us against the, this compelling desire for more and more, which so easily can become a form of addiction in our lives? In Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, there should be a verse for that, Solomon says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And J.D. Rockefeller, who was a multi-billionaire, was once asked, how much money does it take for someone to be truly satisfied? And he replied, just a little bit more. We're never happy. The more we have, the more we want. In 1923, there was an important meeting of nine of the world's most successful business people. There was the president of the world's largest steel company, the president of the world's largest utility company, the president of the largest gas company, the greatest wheat speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, and the most successful investor on Wall Street, as well as the president of the Bank of International Settlements. Someone suggested that these highly successful men be used as role models for the youth of that day. But 25 years later told a completely different story. The president of the largest steel company became bankrupt five years before his death. The president of the largest utility company died bankrupt trying to hide from the law. The president of the gas company suffered mental illness and was declared insane. The wheat speculator died overseas without any money. The president of the New York Stock Exchange spent many years in Sing Sing prison in Singapore. Both the members of the president's cabinet and the president of the bank committed suicide. All of these men had learned how to make money but none had learned how to really live this life. The opposite of greed and craving for money and possessions is contentment with what we've got. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And the Apostle Paul wrote from a dirty prison cell while he was chained to two guards in Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12. He said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content in any of ev and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He was happy and, and content 
not because of the things that he possessed, but because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. In Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, Jesus pointed out that the birds of the air don't sow or reap or store their food away in barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them every day. He told us to look at the flowers of the field that don't fret and worry about how they are doing, yet they manage to clothe them or whether to clothe themselves. Yet their heavenly Father adorns them beautifully. How much more, Jesus said, will God do for us whom he loves? Hebrews 13 verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So by craving for more, we're saying that God's supply of our needs is not good enough. So how do we avoid this dangerous thinking and behavior over this frantic, frenetic Christmas period? Well, the first thing we can do is to be continually thankful. Jesus, the baby born at Christmas, died for us to become become the saviour of the world. He's the greatest present of Christmas. And Colossians 3 verse 15 says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are all called to live in peace and to always be thankful. Rejoice and focus on the good things that you have and thank God for them. Secondly, try and view this world as God sees it. Not from a selfish perspective that we develop in our Western culture. Micah 6 verse 8 tells us, it says, He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require from each of us? He wants us to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. And Proverbs 11 verse 25 tells us that a generous man will prosper, but he who refreshes others, and that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Wasn't it great that we were able to feed 80 people Christmas dinner at our community meal? And so don't be wasteful and greedy this Christmas. Show generosity to other people. Ephesians 4 verse 32, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Proverbs 11 verse 24, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. We don't have to celebrate Christmas in exactly the same way that everyone else does. We can do things more simply and at lower cost, and still be generous towards other people. You know, the New Zealand dollar is quite strong compared to most currencies in developing countries. And we may choose to give 
a special gift to people in need. Thomas, who gave our notices today, has uh, been accepted for a prestigious leadership school. Leighton Ford, who was Billy Graham's brother-in-law, the brother of Ruth Graham, set up this Arrow Leadership School, and it's in 10 different countries. And you can apply to get this leadership training. And Thomas applied, and he's been accepted. And people give to provide the most of the uh, money for this training process, but this but it, he will have to pay about $3,000 a year. He will carry on doing what he's doing in the church. That's the practical side of his ministry training. But he will get this specialised training through being part of this leadership school, which will involve reading a book on leadership a week and going to two block courses of a week each where different leaders come and lecture him on different aspects of leadership and he talks to other people on the course. Now, I, I was thinking that if our church was to provide half of that money, which is $1,500, um, then his church in, in the States or other people may provide the other half. It's not in our budget, you see. Sometimes we get those extra things that come around and we've got to sort of ask you guys for a wee bit of extra money, just like the playground. And it was so good to hear that someone in the congregation gave $1,000 towards that playground happening um, in the last week. That piano, we decided we were going to have a, a senior service. And the older people that play the, the, uh, for the singing in that in that service are used to a piano rather than a keyboard. And so that wasn't budgeted. But very quickly, $5,000 arrived so that we were able to provide that piano which provides the music for that senior service. The last two, sun, last two Wednesdays, we've had over 50 people attending that service. That service runs without any additional cost to the budget of this church and is providing a special worship time for people that are used to singing the old hymns and want something a wee bit more traditional. And so I was thinking, $1,500. That would only take 15 people to give a gift of $100. Put an envelope in the offering... And, and just say to support Thomas's leadership training. I'm going to give $100. And I don't want Thomas to have to worry about whether he can get that money or not because he does so much for this church. And I'm very blessed to have him as a right-hand man because he saves me a lot of stress and anxiety. And, you know... You, we invest in people, okay? We look at people and we look at their spiritual gifts. And we say, I want to see these gifts develop. For those that go to our senior service, Ken Smith had never preached before. He'd done very little teaching. But he's a regular speaker in our senior service. And people love him. He really speaks the word and ministers to people. And I can see a leadership gift on Thomas. 
One day he could be the um, Australasian representative for the Waitoto Children's Choir. Or he could be the senior pastor of a church. And I'd love to be able to point to that guy and say, well, I could see that gift in him. And I've done what I could to see him fulfill his destiny in the Lord. And it's amazing when you see people learn and people grow and people flourish. The fact is, none of us are perfect. But by going to leadership training, we can focus on those key things that will help us fulfill God's call on our lives. The fourth thing is don't borrow unless you have to. Try to live within your means. Romans 13 verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. There was once a man who lived with his wife, children, and his elderly parents in a tiny little hut. He tried to be patient and loving, but in desperation, he consulted the village wise man. Do you have a rooster? asked the wise man. Yes, he replied. Keep the rooster in the hut with your family and come and see me again next week. A week later, the man returned. He told the wise man that living conditions were even worse, that the rooster was crowing and making a mess around the hut. Do you have a cow? asked the wise man. <laughs> the man nodded fearfully. Take your cow into the hut as well and come and see me in a week. Over the next few weeks, the man, on the advice of the wise elder, made room for a goat, two dogs, and his brother's children. His house started to look a bit like Jackie's place. <laughs> Finally, he could take it no longer. And in a, in a fit of anger, he kicked out all the animals and guests leaving only his wife, his children, and his parents. His home suddenly became spacious and quiet, and everybody lived happily after. <laughs> so don't be too impatient with the people you have staying with you over this holiday period. <laughs> so this Christmas, let's focus on the good things and the God things. Try and come to our Christmas service on Christmas Day. Try and include Jesus in your Christmas Day celebration. Even if it means that the main chef has to stay at home and do the cooking. But let's be thankful and realize that 90% of the world are worse off than we are. Look beyond the noise, the clutter and distractions of the Christmas season and focus on Jesus, who is the real reason for the season. We'd expect that people would be queuing up for the amazing free gifts that Jesus offers us, his love, joy, peace, and an eternal relationship with him. 
Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. So over this Christmas period, soak in his presence. Tell him how much you love him. Let's make Christmas a truly meaningful time of praise, worship, and celebration of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we all get caught up in this rat race of racing here and, and doing all that is required for a successful Christmas period with all our friends and family that come to visit us. But Lord, I pray that we can really focus on you this Christmas, that you will be at the center of our thoughts and that we won't exclude you from our conversations. We thank you for all the good things we have in you. And we want to see other people come into your kingdom where they can receive your love, joy, peace, and salvation. So Lord, just be with us over this period. Go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.